Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the movement. In case you haven't been here before, my name is Tyler Hagerman. I'm the minister of this movement. And we have been in a series called The Approach. And uh, tonight is actually the last night for this. And basically what this series has been about is that there is a correct way and an incorrect way to approach people. Uh, Just going to use myself as an example real quick. Me, part of my dirt that I'm very well aware of is that I'm very hard-headed and I'm stubborn. And if somebody approaches me the wrong way, they're very limited in what they can say to me in order for me not to go into self-preservation mode. But if you approach me the right way, you can say whatever you want to me. Now, I'm not saying that God has any dirt or any baggage that we have to overcome in order to get the correct encounter or response from him. But there is a correct way to approach God. And the protocol for this approach is actually found in the, in the design of the tabernacle in the temple. And so this being week four, we've actually been uh, dissecting the different parts of the structure of the tabernacle. And I'm just going to do a, a brief summary of, uh, of the series because not everybody was here for every part. So week one was about gates of thanksgiving. And the basic premise that has been throughout this entire series is that everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything. And so as far as the gate, you enter the gate with thanksgiving. The gate is Jesus. He said, I am the gate. If you enter in by any other way, you are a thief and a robber. So if you want to enter into the presence of God, you have to first enter in through the gate because if you enter in through the gate with thanksgiving, that's the only legal approach to actually get into God's presence. Any other approach is illegal in the kingdom. Jesus said that himself. If you enter in by any other way, you are a thief and a robber. The only way you can access God legitimately and legally is through the gate of thanksgiving. The, uh, the second week was about the outer courts. You have the courts of praise. And after you enter in the gate with thanksgiving, you enter in through his courts with praise. And and this is the the next level of, of the correct approach of how to approach God correctly. And so then after you enter in his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, then you enter in to the inner court, the holy place. This one I may go back and actually do a series on because there was just so much here. Uh, As far as each individual piece of furniture that was in the holy place. You had the menorah, which represented, as far as going back to Christ, the, the seven spirits of the church, which really boils down to just the seven churches found in Revelation. Then you had the table of showbread. The showbread is, is known as the bread of the presence. Jesus is known as the bread of life. And so... What you have there is the word of the presence. And I know I'm going quick, but this is just review. So you have the word of the presence. So it's the word that comes to you while you're in the presence of God. So it is prophetic word. So once you are in the inner court, that's where you have the Holy Spirit, the oil that is in the menorah. So you have the seven spirits of the church. You have, you have the menorah that represents the church and also represents the Holy Spirit. Then you have the showbread, the word of the presence. So it's prophetic word, word of revelation. 
And then you have the table of incense, and that is attributed, that represents prayer. That our prayer is presented to God as incense, as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. That's how it's presented to, the, to him in heaven. And so this week is our final week in this series, and it is about the Holy of Holies. And there is, is quite a bit there. So I'm just, I'm just going to start with the main thing that was in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark contained a few things, but first we're, we're going to start from the outside and then work our way inside. And remember, everything points back to Jesus. The only way we can actually live in the presence of God, approach God correctly so we can live and dwell in the Shekinah glory of the Lord is by approaching him correctly. So this is the approach. I'll, I'll get to the lid in a minute. I feel released to go in, and go inside the, the ark. There were three things that were found in the Ark of the Covenant. You had a pot of manna. You had the broken pieces of, uh, of the Ten Commandments of the Law of Moses of of the word that God gave to Moses. And then you had the budded rod of Aaron. Those were the three things that you find inside of the Ark of the Covenant. There's so much here. I, I really don't know where to begin because there, you, can, you can look at this and it represents so many different things. But let's start with the most basic thing. Let's, let's start with the manna. The manna as far as when, when Scripture describes what it looked like, it looked like seed. And it tasted like wafers of honey. For those of you who don't know, the, the manna was used in order to feed Israel while they were in the wilderness. But it was in the form of seed and it tasted like honey. Those are significant in two areas. Everything, the, the word, the bread, the bread is also, can, can be translated to word. The word, when it is released from heaven, is not designed to satisfy your hunger. That's not what manna was created for. Manna was created to sow in Israel a hunger a craving for the promise. That's why it tasted like honey, because they were headed to a land flowing with milk and honey. The manna was never designed to satisfy their hunger, but rather to put in them a hunger for the promise that they were about to receive. So the word that God gives to you is not meant to keep you satisfied of where you currently are located, but is meant to motivate you to press forward into the promise that he has for you. And the way that this comes back and comes back to Jesus, because it all does, is found in, uh, let's go to John chapter 6, verses 30 to 35. This is the way that it comes back to Jesus. Jesus is talking with, with some of the, the Pharisees at this point. So they asked him, what sign will you give us that we may see and believe you? 
what will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses that has given you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the true bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. Even then, when Jesus came down to earth, while he was walking in his earthly ministry, even then, That wasn't the final play for God. Even then, his presence, his his physical, human, fleshly presence here on this earth was still not meant to satisfy our hunger for righteousness and for relationship with God. It was still simply to put in us a craving for the promise to come. Let's move on to the to the tablets of the tablets of the covenant. This represents obviously the uh, the written word. The manna represented the living word of God, the spoken word of God. So Jesus. The tablets represented the written word, the logos. And these tablets, uh, the reason that they were broken is because Moses got angry after he came off of the mount and broke the tablets. And this is significant in so many different ways. Because even though the tablets were broken, that did not mean that God's word would return unto him void. Even though, and I hate to put Moses in this category, but it's true. Even though religion may try to break a word that you believe that God has spoken over you, even though your current circumstances have tried to diminish and have tried to delete whatever word that God has spoken over you. It will still come to pass because it is the written word of God. It is written in stone. It cannot be undone. There was no erase off a stone. Once you carve it, it is carved. It doesn't matter what happens. That is simply the word of God and it will come to pass regardless of the circumstances that surround you. This is also significant because Jesus being the Word, he was the Word made flesh, his body was broken as the tablets were broken. That's also significant because we went into last week as far as the significance of the veil. This is another thing that is in the Holy of Holies. That in the moment where Jesus where his spirit was ripped from his body, the veil was torn in two. In that moment, Jesus' identity became sin. So what was separating us between us and God was the veil. So the veil represented sin. So in that moment, Jesus took on the veil's identity on himself by becoming sin, and then he was torn. So the veil was torn. That way we would have access to the Holy of Holies. 
The last thing that was inside the Ark of the Covenant was the budded rod of Aaron. And quite simply, this describes the power of God. To put life, to bring life forth where dead things used to be. So I was, I was praying about this uh, the other day. And then I noticed something. You had the jar of manna, which is the bread of heaven coming down to earth. The breaking of the tablets of stone and then the budded rod of Aaron. So right there you have a picture of the, the birth, the death, and the resurrection. Of the bread of life coming down to earth. The word of God being broken. And the new life coming forth from where there was dead. Two of the three things all concern words in our lives. So we have the initial word being given to us. Then we go on to the next step. As far as it looking like that word is broken and it's not going to come to pass. And then finally you have the resurrection. The actual life coming back into what was perceived to be dead. That was what was inside the Holy of Holies. Now I want to move to what was the environment like in there. The environment of the Holy of Holies was it, it was described like a glory cloud being seated on the mercy seat, which is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And there's another instance of scripture where, where this is kind of exemplified. It's kind of personified in a sense. It's on the Mount of Transfiguration where you have Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And then you have a glory cloud come in, and that being the presence of God. Again, everything in the Old Testament points straight to Jesus because it shows what living in the holy place actually looks like. It shows us the destination. It shows us how we can actually do this because you have the law and you have the spirit coming together and being fulfilled in Jesus. I'm not saying that we're under the law, but I am saying that there is a law of the new covenant. It only has two commandments, though. It is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In these two things, you fulfill all the law. In the new covenant law, you only have two laws. Love God, love people. So that's the law that is being fulfilled in Jesus. Then you have the Holy Spirit, the, the works of the Spirit being fulfilled in him. So basically what it looks like to to live in the holy place is you live in a place where you do everything that you can to demonstrate to God and to show God how much you love him and then in turn also go out and love people. And when you do this, this living out this kind of, this life of of consecration and sanctification and, and trying to 
Live your life keeping the dove in mind. Imagine that there is a, a dove on your shoulder. That way every step that you make, every word that you say is methodically and strategically thought out. And also welcoming the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is how you live in the holy place. This isn't just something that we visit on Sundays. This isn't just something that we try to get to every once in a while. When we try to retreat in our prayer closets once a week or something like that. This is something that needs to be strove for every day of our lives in order for us not to stumble. That very moment be that may be the the next series that we do. Because in, in I believe it's Second Peter, Peter starts talking about how to not stumble in the faith. So we may get into that later. But that is what it looks like of how to approach God and to remain in the approach and remain in the presence of God. Father, I thank you that that your word will not return unto you void, that it will accomplish everything that you have preordained for it to do. I thank you, Lord. That through this word, that there will be breakthrough for your people, that there will be miracles, and there will be life that springs forth. I thank you in advance for the testimonies that will come from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.